0: Welcome to the No Nonsense Nutrition Podcast with Brett, Ed, Fran, Johnny, Matt, and Paul, helping you to build more muscle and to lose weight with a hint of banter and a dash of humour. Enjoy this week's episode. Welcome to the No Nonsense Nutrition Podcast, episode number 178. It's nearly close to the 180. What's that what from, Johnny? Loser,
1: 178.
0: 178. That will be, well, best part of three and a bit years we
1: haven't done one every week we have some of two we we, just, we start with
0: two we start a week. with two a week for i think eight weeks because we were a little bit of the cretins basically making uh or abusing the uh itunes apple i don't know what it is what they're basically the first double charts you get because you get in the new chart and the whatever the topic chart is aka fitness nutrition or whatever we're in so you kind of get double downloads so it makes sense to release loads of episodes to get up in the charts early on which we did because you remember we got to number two in the entire world in nutrition and fitness <laughs>
1: <laughs> matter isn't it number
0: two you we
1: think have... how many it's just like the, the nutrition in India. how many of them are run by people who can just market well and don't actually know that much most, or
0: most. It's all all the top ones, all the top ones, other than probably Danny's, Lennon's, obviously very evidence-based. He has had a few stinkers, I guess, mind you, but um, I don't... I think it's probably ones he's had guests in that have said stuff where he's like... but then can't really call them out too much in the middle of a podcast, so it's kind of just let them go. But, yeah, I think, uh, other than Danny's, I think if you look at most of the nutrition episodes or health and fitness ones, they're all fucking just either, like populist type people which are just you know your yoga girls or and i just got a fuck load of followers or they're your i don't know they are all a bit woo woo hairy fairy type people there aren't many people in there that you'd say are evidence-based or you know, know what they're talking about Even though they're just like just they're just popular they're just you know you're i can't even i can't say i've even. in fact i'm stumbling and stuttering a lot right now because i'm start thinking to myself and i'm going around in kind of little avenues in my head I can't say so I've even looked at the charts for ages, actually. So I could be talking, as you would say, Johnny, utter bollocks.
1: Could well be, because I've probably never looked at the charts. No,
0: I'm I don't, just assuming. I don't even have my phone available to look. So
1: I, just on, on the word evidence base, I almost feel like that now is getting a bit tarnished. That word, because I think a lot of people are using it, but then I'm not really. They are they're evidence based when it suits. It's like you; they will take like anecdotal evidence if it suits their bias. If someone comes back with, "Oh, I've got anecdotal evidence to suggest that it's the opposite of what you think," they go, "No, you can't use that. It's not proper evidence." It's like, well, you know, you can't use it for one, and then say, "No, I can't use it for the other thing just because it doesn't suit your bias." So, I do think it is getting a little bit.
0: Um, I do. I do think it's definitely. If th- what you're trying to say is kind of a bit buzzwordy in that, yeah, people are kind of using yeah. it, using the phrase "evidence-based" as kind of a sales technique ploy. I don't know, whatever you want to call it. As I say, "Look at me, I'm evidence-based," but in reality, um, yeah, really- not really. Uh, evidence-based is obviously a difficult thing to even defined to a certain extent and obviously we know that it's kind of multifaceted that evidence base isn't just about around kind of like having evidence to back up a statement made or a point of view or you know a strategy protocol or whatever because like you've just insinuated there i think there are generally studies that would suit or or have um outcomes that would would probably be able to back up most things people say even though we would still deem them as non-evidence-based Because, like, if you, as an example, if you want to find studies that says vegetables are bad for you, there are some out there that says that. So, if you want to go find them, brilliant. Obviously, you have to look at the totality of the evidence and then weigh up essentially the weighting. So, you have to look at the evidence papers in terms of the kind of the the study concepts, the methods, how they've analyzed the data, the conclusions they match, all of these types of things. Um, And then kind of look at that across an entire base of what's available and then give kind of each one a waiting and say right okay well we think that the evidence suggests this as an outcome of all you know kind of you know matches this hypothesis um and it's not easy to do in in reality especially because obviously quite often it'll be so mixed i mean there's so many kind of i'm trying to think of a decent one out there really that um kind of proves my point but i can't think off the top of my head but you might get a you know like a bunch of, of research done on a topic and there might be 10 kind of well-established or recognized papers as kind of like trying to find out the the, the outcome of a hypothesis and four might be four four might be against and a couple had no results so it's kind of like hmm okay what do we do then and this is the problem is if you only picked one study you could find one study that says like, yeah, this supports my viewpoint. So therefore I'm evidence-based. But um, anyway, I think obviously the other thing people miss is the fact that evidence-based isn't just, do you have a study to back up a reference? It is more around as well, kind of what is the most efficacious evidence available to you, but also your own experience as a practitioner and as a professional as well. You know, it doesn't necessarily exclude that completely. You have to use your own skill in Mm. kind of how you then apply that evidence to certain, audiences or scenarios or context
1: I was like you you when you've de- dealt with a lot of people then you might see certain scenarios or patterns that may not be supported in evidence but you've you've seen it happen or you've you've gone through it and it's happened but I mean that's how things start. Isn't it, it start with an idea then you go from there and you build on a data, you, you create studies to try and uh, prove or disprove that theory. So everything starts with a theory, doesn't it? So, you know, there is anecdotal evidence that's maybe out there now. It's not backed in science yet because they haven't studied it yet. You can't say then, though, this works. And you can't say, oh, yes, this is efficacious because you don't really know. You just, okay, that's worked for one person. Maybe there's something to it but you couldn't go right. Check it out to the masses. Oh, that's definitely true because I've seen it. You know what I mean? Mm,
0: yeah, yeah. And obviously all of that stuff also ignores kind of even the own, the own, the uh, individual's values and preferences. So I guess obviously as a nutrition practitioner, the, the stuff that we do and kind of how we, I suppose we define what treatment, for want of a better phrase, or kind of what intervention that we use. You know, we're using the evidence that's out there that we know of. There's plenty of evidence that we don't know of, let's be honest, because as much as we try and keep up to date with evidence, there's always loads more coming out that changes viewpoints all the time. Um, And obviously, we're not experts in every single area either. Like, it's it's almost impossible to be in in the way we are. so it's kind of that part. There's obviously our own experience and expertise almost, but then the other part of being an evidence-based practitioner is also taking into account the individuals in terms of our clients. So what are their values and preferences or what do they want out of it? You know, It's, it's all well and good saying, keto shit, it doesn't work for everyone and blah, 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 blah. But actually, if it's something they find very easy to adhere to, albeit you know the underlying principles might be different than what they expect them to be in terms of why something's working. As a good practitioner... We probably should still be considering another method, of that even though we know it's not necessarily optimal or best for for fat loss, but it might be optimal or best for that individual.
1: that is the best I think just doesn't like.
0: I lost you, mate. I think you might need to uh go audio only. Bear right with me, be, be listeners. You are much better, Jonathan.
1: I know, we're happy to use them. So because a certain diet is maybe the the best one you could follow, it doesn't mean that it suits your palate, your taste preference, your lifestyle. So therefore, it's a non-starter. So you could get as close. You could you could model your nutrition plan around it, but it doesn't mean it has to be exactly the same. Because maybe you just don't get on with certain foods and it's pointless trying to force it because you will never stick to it. Mm-hmm. So obviously the best way of eating is the way you can way of eating you can stick to for the long term that gets you to the goals that you want. But even then, you can do other things at the start of a diet to kickstart your progress and then move into something that's no longer term like me now having a giant deficit just to lose rapid weight at the start to get a bit more well to make it a bit for easier long term to go actually it's not just fifty pounds losing that was 40 pounds a bit easier that's a bit uh, gives you a bit of a boost to the start isn't it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: I, I remember uh, your, yours may be lesser i mean i guess with the kind of the, the rapid fat loss approach it wouldn't you can't say it's not evidence-based because it you know in the definition that we described it definitely is evidence-based but it's not for everyone is the point that you're making but there is some mm. efficacy around what you're doing and why you're doing it um i was just going to bring up the example i think mike harrison um always used to start and i don't know if he still does this or doesn't but then again he's probably not dieted for for long recently anyway because obviously i guess this was more when he was in in the competing realm but he used to start a lot of preps with like a 48 hour fast or something which for most people say like it's not optimal by any stretch or um isn't even necessarily all those loose evidence-based but you know it's kind of for him he said he always used to do it because he used to just find it quite easy at the start he'd have very little hunger issues for those couple of days and he'd lose an absolutely astonishing amount of weight in two days and yes he knows it's not all body fat he knows that a lot of it is um going to be other other kind of tissue or, or or substrates or whatever but yeah, you can imagine just losing huge amounts of weights in two days. It just, like you say, just takes off. One, it makes the target immediately quite dramatically smaller, and sh- and you've all immediately shrunk a lot of the the kind of the, the overall progress that you know you need to make at the e- by the end of the you know whatever time period it is. But it's actually really motivating to see that happen. Really motivating.
1: You know, if you lose six pounds scale weight in two days, which is probably easily possible, but not only for two days, it does give you that. Uh... You have a morale boost straight away, innit? Right, six pound gone. Let's start. Yeah, I mean that's because you are. It is easy it to diet harder at the start. Isn't it? I mean, if you if you tried to do that, like four months in, it's probably very very difficult. I wouldn't say it's impossible, like, but it can like, be very very difficult. Yeah, because okay. if, your, your motivation today wins as you as you get longer and longer into it.
0: Yeah, I'd use the word enthusiasm I think obviously you're enthusiastic at the start and obviously you can you can basically jump off the back of that or ride that wave but after a while your enthusiasm does wane and you're like mm, it's not quite as fun as it was at the start and the, the actually even the the results aren't as motivating or the results aren't even as fast because whereas we've just talked about you get a dramatic start at of it, start of any weight loss uh, generally because of lower things lower carbohydrates lower sodium intakes um even lower fiber potentially for some people, although not as people, but all of those will attribute to kind of a faster rate of weight loss. So yeah. Um, and obviously I guess we'll talk about that in a minute um, around you and your approach. Cause I think we were obviously, we we started to kind of delve into that last week when we were talking around kind of some of what we'd been doing, but we obviously went on one of our raw episodes, talking to talking through to which, in honesty, I think we've had some quite good feedback. I've had a few messages off people saying that like they're well, quite quite enjoying. Yeah, shout out to um, to Shane. Obviously, he's what his guy that's been. Um, we we chat a fair bit on on Instagram, usually about food and random kind of new food products that we can find. But he says he very much enjoys the uh, the kind of the rawness or the different type of episode. So um, thank you, mate. I hope you're listening to this, enjoying. Uh, Johnny, he some reason he does like you. Don't know why. But me. He seems to think you're, <laughs> you're maybe just he likes your personality, but he says you're you're kind of got this mad. I don't know. I, don't, I can't remember what words he used now, but I guess you know you're just a bit crazy. Twat. So, twat yeah, that's the word I would use. But I'm just going to try and be a bit more polite.
1: Sorry, I don't get offended. do I, yeah. I, I think I've ever been offended in my life.
0: <laughs> no, probably not. Actually,
1: <laughs> I've been annoyed by some people have said, but not offended. Oh, look, if you've offended me, no, i don't mm. get offended easily maybe that's why i don't really think sometimes about what i'm saying because i think oh everybody's like me and they're not They no they're not that's no, true but um you should well if it was
0: it, well would if they everyone was like <laughs> you yeah it would be fucking terrible for me um but on on an on another note the um football shirt conversation also generated a bit of uh, debate around whether that was a uh, not healthy thing to do. I don't know. Just basically, just whether that was was a cool thing to do. I suppose.
1: What well, in terms of buying that shirt?
0: Well, just generally, won the price of them. But obviously, I mentioned around the fact that I had a um, a shit ton of them in the garage that I'd stored away from numerous, well, almost decades of buying every shirt Liverpool brought out. Uh, which, funny enough, I actually went through this morning because I, I had four shirts that were in a different box. And as we were emptying some, because obviously, as most of you might know, um, as Johnny does know, that obviously I moved house reasonably recently, opening some boxes, found some some old away shirts, all with Gerard on the back, uh, that I thought, oh, I better put them with the rest of them in the box in the garage. So I went and got some down. I was looking through them actually thinking, I've got a phenomenal amount of, of shirts there. So quite enjoyed looking through them, actually a bit nostalgic.
1: I re- I got a feeling Nios, but I remember the Man United double-sided one and he was horrific to wear oh he, well, he could so, turn it inside out <laughs> and so sweaty he was incredible I remember when I to watch him I think it was was it Inter Milan maybe yeah, yeah, Inter Milan I think it was and it was horrific I was going, like, oh my god I'm sweating my head off but I can't handle this I don't like shirt materials so it just makes me sweat like polo shirts I can't wear yeah
0: the same yeah but i i think um uh lauren shout out to to lauren she was um saying about how her dad like does the same has been buying loads although i guess he's maybe a little older than me so maybe she thinks that he shouldn't be his age although i am 37 i am also a father maybe i shouldn't but there you go It it was the first shirt i bought in like well over 10 years i can't i don't know how long but i could probably go through the shirts and find out but well over 10 years so uh, it's not like I'd buy them recently, but I felt like I needed to celebrate the momentous occasion of breaking our Premier League duck.
1: That's that's fair. I, I'm in the mindset now, if I to spend, I wouldn't spend 60 or 80 quid on a shirt because I could just 96. put that. So, 96.
0: 96. Yeah. 96. yeah. Well, Something it. Like, it, was, it was late 90s anyway.
1: What, well, you last bought a shirt?
0: No, that's, no, no. no. The cost. You said 60 to 80 quid. I said actually 96 because that's how so much it cost. It was like 96 or 98 quid or something like that.
1: That is expensive, but it's all relative, right? Yes, yeah, it's, it's yeah.
0: ridiculous. It's ridiculous. If someone's on 100
1: grand a year, then it's relevant.
0: And not relevant. Uh, yeah, well, obviously I should be paying 9,000 pounds for the shirt. That's how that so much money I earn. So it's all relative, <laughs> isn't it? But no, I, I, I remember back in the day being able to buy a shirt for like with all the badges, names and numbers, all the extra shit that you have to pay more for, for like 40 quid. But yeah, like When I mean, did they become 100 quid?
1: It's when they say, oh, inflation is 2% year, but it's, it's not. No. People function,
0: No. No inflation. I mean, I don't know what goods they're measuring inflation on, but they are not measuring on football shirts.
1: No, it's absolutely not. Double the price now in the years. 20. I really asked me. you thought it was an English,
0: it? Yeah. Yeah. But, um... Yeah, no, I got quite enjoyed. I'm, I'm glad at least we know some people are listening, which
1: is nice. We well, should ask them, the ones who met through Instagram, what sort of topics they want to talk about, because then at least then we know at least two or three people will uh, of the thousand who download weekly, or whatever it is, will actually get some uh, enjoyment out of it. I I'd rather the off the, i be off the cuff. I find the, the other sciencey stuff because it's really only so much. I mean, pretty much they know all there is to know about weight loss, you know, physically. It's not, nothing's going to come now that's going to radically change our industry, is it? I doubt. Unless they magic pill it, and then you can go right three stone light in two days, which I don't think they're anywhere near. But they get a bit... Science that gets a bit boring, doesn't it? Because there's only so much you can talk about. That's even... There's nothing new, is it? No. Well... Like well. Stuff surrounding how you encompass a diet and training is interesting than the actual, you know, sciencey stuff.
0: Yeah, yeah. There aren't many new studies coming out that are absolutely groundbreaking. I think most of them are starting to study more methods than principles in terms of what methods might be better um or more appropriate to like apply to people rather than kind of changing anything or or finding anything new physiologically not not in the realms of kind of like general weight loss and nutrition as you say anyway rather than maybe some of the kind of more specific or Nice topics of of nutrition but i don't think it's gonna be too much more new there um but yeah i think um some of the stuff coming out around like kevin hall's doing around the the effect of like ultra processed foods and versus kind of like less processed foods and hunger regulation appetite and those types of things they're obviously really interesting from a standpoint of nutrition but we haven't really done many 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 episodes or topics on kind of that type of stuff recently because there isn't that much new like you say and we're, we're not bored of it but um we're just quite enjoying just kind of rambling or talking about other stuff, haven't we? So, hence we have. But today, we were going to go through what we didn't manage to do last week and to kind of talk more around your current setup or your diet and strategy for for your wedding. So, just to recap on last week, um, if I can remember what we talked about. Mm-hmm. Obviously, just so that people are aware that you obviously have started a dieting phase after a long period of, of not dieting. And this is on the basis of you trying to make sure that you're in... Uh, you know a relatively good condition for your wedding that's obviously due now in may so what we've got we're talking about the best part of just over six months right. i don't think i don't know if we only we started going off on tangents didn't we talking about other stuff so i don't know if you want to talk really a kind of terms of what your strategy is at this current moment um and how it maybe looks over the longer term
1: right so we started it's more than it's more than a week it's like what do you it know it's a portion of two weeks maybe yeah. yeah i think it's a portion like two weeks on monday and it so we started the diet, what was it, was it like 24 weeks out? Yeah, I think it's was just about six months or slightly under. So we talked about, right, as a, as a rough guide, I know myself, I've been, what was I, 12 stone five, 12 stone six, back in I was boxing, that was my likeness i have ever been, and that's when you look back and think, oh, decent, I, I don't know, I guess maybe 10 to 12% body fat as a guess. Look, I'm not shredded by any means because I carry on my hips quite a lot. So if I can get... I know 10, 10 to 12% body fat is roughly 12 and a half stone. So hopefully, if training has gone even half tidy for the last... How many years ago was that? Five, possibly six. I mean, hopefully I can be 13 stone. So we know roughly... I'm six. I was sixteen eight when I started. 16-9, Wrong 16, there. So we know there's three stone eight pound to lose, which is 30, 40, two, 50 odd pound. So we know obviously that's quite a quite a substantial amount of weight. So we said like we agreed on starting off quick. So I was aiming for three six to three eight thousand calories when i was deliberately trying to put on mass you might do a couple of kids in the background now but they will go away eventually
0: (laughs) you're right i've got i've got summer in the same room hiding under the bed she just got in and caught on the bed can you don't even hear it summer are you coming out why not
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah so i was aiming for at the top end three eight bear in mind I did snack down again so you could probably say sometimes it's more like four so we said right we'll just it's still horrific the year when Brett says Yo, we'll go for 2,000 like oh my god there's only at least say two eight or something. so we go right because we'll, with with that dramatic drop in carriage, you're almost well you're pretty much half in it you know you obviously can't eat as many carbs so what, you're going to lose water weight you're going to lose and you can't It's not you your glyphosate those are not going to be full So you're going to lose water, you're going to lose food volume for the start. You're generally going to eat less salt because you're eating less food. And obviously you're eating half the calories. So get in there quick. So then psychologically it's better because at the start of a diet, it's easier to stick to someone. that's a bit more extreme and short term. So you get that initial big drop in weight. Clearly it's an all body fat. So I'm £10 down now, probably 11 tomorrow. You just know tomorrow's going to be another low. So £10, 11 down now, so it's less than two weeks in. So if we can carry that on and get it, say, £20 within the first month, you know then there's roughly £30 to go and you've got roughly 20 weeks. So you know i slightly over a pound a week, which is more manageable long-term. So, a quick start, and then depending how long I can handle that for, because you know, maybe in the case of after a month, I think, oh no, this the, we have to change it, or it could be two months in, or like I can handle two months, and then you put you probably could have put away 16, 20 pounds, possibly, depending how it goes. So, the short term strategy at the start to get a lot of weight off, a lot of scale weight off, lose the bloat, because you do lose a lot of bloat when you when well, you do bloat a lot when you're eating a lot. And then move into a longer term strategy when we feel that the initial really low carry is run its course. So that doesn't seem I mean twenty weeks to lose 30 or pound is obviously a bit more manageable. And there's either the chance of getting there quicker and hitting it quicker. So you either go, like, the decision then is to go, right, can I get a single-digit body file, which is very difficult, or do I try and hold condition and try and fill out a bit? So you look, you increase your car, so you look a bit, fuller without sacrificing body fat. So hopefully if we come in early, it's a decision either way of go right, either go further and get lower in body fat, which means you probably look bigger with your top off, or you look like you've got AIDS without with it with, with clothes on. So you I know mean, it's just one or the other. <laughs> look without clothes or look dog shitting clothes. I think I'd rather look good on a beach. Out of clothes clearly. So it'd be good to get in to get in condition earlier, even if it's a couple of weeks earlier, you know, two weeks or something, three weeks. At least you need to decide in either way and right to either go lower body fat or maintain what we've got and eat into it psychologically and for my body metabolism etc. It would be more sensible to hold what I would have got and eat into it. Because, obviously, it's all-inclusive. So Clearly, the food choices are endless. And it's more psychologically beneficial to have eaten more calories. You're not really restricted when you go over there. So there's less chance of you going up and go right, I'm going to eat everything I can find on day one and two and ten. Whether, you know, if you eat a decent amount of calories going in, you don't feel so... Food focused when you're out there. Yeah. So there's yeah. obviously two ways to play. You either get in really good condition, but mentally be you'll be worse off mentally, and you'll be more food focused, or be a bit less conditioned. Which people, I mean, you yourself and people, unless you're used to looking at our body fat percentage, people are probably not really going to make any, like see any difference between ten and eight. We or are they? I don't know, but. <clears throat> so yeah that's the
0: yeah we we touched a lot on the kind of the rationale as to why you would aim to get in certain condition before like before a holiday or before an event as opposed to at the time of the event but cl- clearly I guess something like bodybuilding show is a bit different because obviously you'd have to get to certain level of body fat um and I guess even a bodybuilding show if you can get to stage condition beforehand and kind of use the term "eat eating in in case anyone's not realizing what that means in terms of kind of start to up your calories um still that you'll be either in a deficit but either a smaller deficit or you know not in a deficit but not in a surplus so by definition you shouldn't be putting on any body fat but you're just kind of then starting to remove a lot of the diet um the disadvantages of diet so kind of like the negative effects of dieting for the leading up to the show Transp- translate that into kind of the point for a holiday or like in johnny's situation it's kind of what you said and we did touch on it last week around just you actually then starting to remove a lot of the negative adaptations to dieting in time so that when you do go on holiday you're not in as bad a position in terms of all of those things so like lower metabolic or like more metabolic adaptation so lower kind of maintenance calories say for example um more food focus or you should be on lower food focus if you've been eating up to it and all the things that basically make being on holiday better or less likely to basically just put on loads of weight while you're over there because you're either eating so like more or you know you just your body's going to react and um, more drastically to kind of the increase in food and stuff so that's why
1: yeah i just have a thought because <clears throat> if you mo- most people when they diet generally speaking do not get in the single digits because it does take a concerted amount of effort and discipline consistency to get single digits i mean most people probably the, the average diet just wants to get a bit smaller so maybe they'd end up being 14 15 which is by no means shredded but if you get into that middle percent singleish I like, don't think I can do it with them too too fat to get to, to like six percent I don't think it, it will happen and quite real uh, like if you could get to like that level like six percent even if you do gain a decent amount of weight on all ways you still may only be 10 so you still look shredded that's the point of where bodybuilders don't tend to look ever they ever look fat because they get to such extreme body fat and the low. And even when they pile weight on, they still probably under fifteen. So they never look like your average Joe who's gone all days, ate like a pig, gone from fifteen percent to twenty percent, which looks like a substantial amount of fat. Do you get me?
0: Yeah, yeah, no, no, for sure. And I guess like the more this is when you're a bodybuilder or you've been training a long time, you hold more muscle mass. You've obviously got more place for the food to go in terms of in the muscles um and just generally you look better with clothes on at least so okay you might you might lose a lot of definition striations, all of the things that we associate with being like uber lean but generally bodybuilders or people that are into going to the gym or whatever else at least then kind of kind of switch their focus and this is really a coping mechanism part of the actual process that we would probably ask people to do anyway as part of coaching is that focus on some of the, the kind of the different types of mindsets that you can focus on in positive at, like aspects of things. So where people what might start to look I've just, you know, after a Bollywood show you say, I've just been in the best condition of my entire life and like or you know, what they see is the best condition in the entire life. aka like lean and shredded on stage and it's now gone within a week type of thing. Well actually, you know, we want people to then start to focus on the positive aspects, which might be, you know, you look bigger, you look bigger in clothes and you know your, your t shirt now suddenly is like tighter or, or you can fill it out um or focus on the gym and obviously the fact that you now got better performance in the gym your lifts are going up and all you know you're feeling more energy and, and those types of things because that changing focus can be the difference of success and, and like basically people failure or giving up and deciding they just don't want to go to the gym anymore and that type of thing which does happen some people have gone in and just decided to actually post bodybuilding shows i don't ever want to do this again and they just don't even train like at all they just give up going to the gym i've seen people do that
1: so Is uh, almost pointless, isn't it? If you stop treating after that, then what's the point? Yeah,
0: well, it's just they get so, so kind of like um, just dis- not dis- disillusioned, I can't think of the right word, but they get disheartened, I guess, with the entire process and, and afterwards. Um, and I've seen people do it for photo shoots, let's like say bodybuilding shows. Where they just they get to the point where they're just sick of it and they just stop going and then just never find their mojo again and start going again, which is obviously a, a poor result in the end because obviously we want people to keep going to train and looking after their health because it's you know it's good for people and if you're just going to go through a process and then just decide it's you know so negative or your kind of associations with it are so negative that you end up just completely jacking it in and just never even bothering to do any exercise or anything. Then um, yeah, that's obviously not a, a a positive outcome. So but so let's just let's bring it, bring it back to you. So obviously, it, just just to recap, then in terms of like the strategies being very much a initial motivational um, rapid fat loss approach for, I guess it's probably going to be as long as you can manage for really. Um, albeit, I suppose we're not going to have any kind of set numbers necessarily in terms of either times or or weight loss or anything like that. It's going to be more a case of let's just kind of keep making some regular assessments in terms of all of the, the metrics that we want to measure. So it will include weight loss, but include things like your energy levels, your sleep, um, stress levels, and even your home life and stuff like that, and how it's affecting all of those things. And if obviously they're good and you're still going, then we can keep going. And obviously if they're not, then that's when we start to make some, some adjustments to it, I suppose, and transitioning into something that's probably a bit more sustainable and a bit less impact on you generally.
1: I know from experience that, when it's not, that I've had enough of that physical diet. I will start to pick. I know then, right? Maybe calories are a bit low. So I will know when that happens, I know right. Let's change it.
0: Yeah. Okay. What? What? What will that? So, do, what do you envisage that change it to be? As in, what 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 does change it look like? Is it something I could I described in terms of just starting to transition into probably just higher calorie intake, but still in a deficit? Something that's not as aggressive and easier to stick to, yeah. um, or more to it than that.
1: So for me, I don't know. I, I don't know how many calories I burn roughly. I mean, you can use calculators, but they, you know, I don't know right even you know, top my head roughly. So, but I know 2,000 is quite substantially under what I burn in a day. I'm mm-hmm. so pretty active through the day, especially when I'm at work. I mean, in work. It's twenty or thousand steps in a day. So, <clears throat> even if it's the case of right, it's two thousand now. Let's put the average to a little bit higher, even like two, three, or something. But even putting in those, not that it, it won't affect anything metabolically, but put in no, Either I'm like a higher days, for example, or. Having a bit higher calories on training days, you get the days where you almost look forward to more calories. So you can go right, I can keep these days at 2,000, but I know some of these days might be, you know, 2,500. So there's always something to look for. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so it'd be slightly higher calories, so slightly easier to maintained because even at 2300 a day average i would say and my weight currently is still a substantial, substantially under maintenance
0: yeah okay so ha- have you so t- taking it back to the the initial phase because obviously that's where you are now in this kind of rapid fat loss phase um based on the the, the additional motivation it brings etc and Obviously, fast results are making that the the kind of the size of the prize, or you know the size of the elephant, almost as they say in corporate land. Um, you're breaking that down into to obviously smaller chunks. Um, have you utilized any specific strategies uh, or methods so to kind of achieve that principle? So I'm thinking like fasting, or because obviously, like you say, is although a lot of people might go two thousand calories, that's that's easy to diet on. Um, I guess it, it is all relative. Um, but h- how have you kind of strategized to to maintain or or help you manage that?
1: Even though I use I I track calories, and I I do use so if it fits your macros type diet, I don't include I haven't included any quote unquote shit. Like I won't try and put up four of Mars bar because to me it's just pointless taking ten percent of my daily calories from a Mars bar, for example. So. My food choices are limited. I wouldn't say very limited, but pretty limited. Because if you're having highly palatable foods all the time you're working them the that, you just, you just get what I do. I just feel hungrier more often. Because if it's highly palatable, it's generally higher calorie. You can't have as much of it, so it doesn't really fill you up. Mm-hmm. And you're looking for something else straight after. So a li- limited um, food variety. Uh, not including any junk, which um, how we had half a pizza each, small one, so that's of junk, really. But the rest of the day was okay, and I was like 650 calories an or so <clears throat> it's not too bad, just, just, just under a third of total calories for the day. Um, <clears throat> I don't fast, like when I go to work, I would take relatively low. Calories with me so I can have a breakfast is about 400 ish on average. I say the meals then are 400 450 each, so I've got about 13 to 14 calories through the day. So I know when I've got 6 to 800 calories in the night to eat. Can you hear that?
0: Yeah, I can. Someone, someone's having a good time. <laughs>
1: A, so I, me a minute
0: don't worry i'll tell i'll tell people about my uh my oldest having chicken pox that's fun <laughs> um yeah i i guess like i'll i can kind of talk around some of the the things while you sort sort out in terms of like the aspects of why we may be looking at that um type of procedure in in limiting junk food because and we've talked about in the podcast you know 100 billion times probably but um, there's a, there's obviously a large evidence base coming out or is a you know and i mentioned the kevin hall study actually at the start around ultra processed foods versus kind of less processed foods and its effects on satiety appetite and hunger regulation and stuff and there's definitely a strong enough evidence base out there to suggest that if you want to be a successful dieter in terms of sticking to a calorie deficit because obviously it's the principle that we have to make sure everyone adheres to limiting things like food variety so that's your obviously kind of well as it says really variety of foods um, and not having too many different tastes flavors textures all of those things obviously to a point where i guess you don't go crazy and making it so dull that you just basically gruel all the time or, or you know or something like that because obviously you you probably likely won't be able to stick to it even then because obviously it'll be so boring so bland that you'll just encourage your typical binge eating type behaviours what people get from more restricted diets because obviously you're effectively making your food variety so poor that it just enforces restriction but in the same breath keeping it reasonably limited to such things in terms of variety but also the the kind of like the palatability which is kind of coincides with it but also as well as kind of the, the nature of how processed it is that all of those things were lying will probably make it a bit easier to stick to the evidence base set certainly seems to suggest that that people stick to diets and have more success dieting if they limit the the, the types of food they have to lower food varieties and lower processed amounts um and the reasons for that are, are probably lots of things really one of them is definitely the the food reward systems in that higher higher palatable stuff in terms of how well things taste etc as well as kind of the, the food variety aspect of different tastes and flavours, that certainly has an effect on people's reward systems and encourages them to eat more foods. So um, that that definitely plays out in the literature in terms of like Johnny's approach of making sure that we, we kind of limit a lot of those stuff to less processed, less variety, um, less hyper palatable stuff. But then there's also the element of what we said around satiety levels of just generally processed foods tend to be higher in calories and less satiating so eating kind of more potatoes rice vegetables green vegetables like all all colored vegetables really but all of those things and some kind of like healthier in air quotes starches etc that are are more filling they're going to help you stick to a diet more than kind of only being able to eat two mars bars and a couple of whey shakes and then you've done your calories for the day type thing. Because obviously that's just not going to keep you full or satiated for the for the day, as as opposed to some of the so called cleaner foods or less palatable, uh, less, um, well yeah, less palatable, less processed foods. So if that all makes sense, um, so yeah, I, I guess Johnny, I appreciate why you're you're doing that in terms of trying to stick to it. Um, I don't know if you heard the bit where I, I kind of mentioned around lowering food variety so much that it almost becomes restrictive though and obviously that could then have some encouragement on kind of binge eating behaviors because basically you you limit variety to so low foods that you just then start to constantly crave foods that you've restricted so um sorry to interrupt this episode we just wanted to let you know that we're currently accepting applications to work with any of our coaches to help you lose weight and get shredded or build muscle and get jacked If you want to know more, just head over to nnncoaching.com forward slash apply. No contract links, just evidence-based coaching to make sure you get the results you've always been after.
1: Right, for me at the minute, it's not that extreme. It's not like I'm only having two foods. Right, so tomorrow, this is what I've planned in and what I've cooked for breakfast and two meals for work. So total, I mean, these might be slightly inaccurate, so it depends. You know, food labels are always bang on, like, but let's, let's take it as gospel, right? So, total calories for three meals: sixteen hundred and fifty-one. Protein: hundred and fifty. Carbs: hundred and seventy. Fat: forty-five. Meal one: two slices of best of both medium bread. Right, so it's about hundred eighty calories. Three hundred mill of liquid egg whites two large eggs and a bit of butter. I always put one tablespoon in for butter, always, even though it's less, because it almost gives me a bit of a buffer as well. Uh, meal-
0: a, bu- a buffer for the butter.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> meal two is 180 grams of lean mince, 50 grams of jasmine rice, and special mix frozen veg from Morrison's. Meal three is exactly the same. Was meal two, and then at so the last meal of the day be when I get home. So I've got between because we range from 2000 to two, so 16, so got between four and six hundred calories for the end of the day. I, I'm, I'm not a big fatty meat eater either, so I'm not a particular fan of steak, so I know my, my protein source will be lean obviously veg doesn't carry a lot of calories depending on what veg you have but and then there'll be some sort of carb with it so I can have well anything chicken we've got, we got downstairs we've got chicken or tuna or uh, lean like turkey breast mince so a, I'd probably have something like that um, maybe a small amount of pasta and then I'll just pile veg on so in, the, in these special mixed veg, you've got like sweet corn, peas, carrots, green beans. So you've got four types there. Or if you've got my like jasmine rice in there, you've got lean beef, you've got eggs, liquid eggs, you've got bread, butter, probably going to be chicken, pasta, more veg. So it's quite, you know, it's what's 13 different foods. So it's not like I'm eating like, you know, chicken and green veg all day, which, you know, is very restrictive, like one protein source and one well is it really a carb source green veg but one other source that's not protein so i haven't got it everywhere it's too or i find it's too restrictive at all yeah i
0: i think that's a a a good point in probably dovetails into what we talked about towards the start of (coughs) evidence-based practice and the evidence does say about low in food variety generally has obviously a an effect on hunger and appetite and adherence to diets in the in the way i've already explained um in the same breath though that as i said it does also like lowering food variety to the point where it's deemed as like ultra restrictive then falls into that realm of the evidence base that shows that restrictive diets diets aren't as successful as more flexible diets so um all diets obviously have to have some level of restriction to to basically even create a calorie deficit. But in terms of them being like almost like rather than flexibly restriction flexible restriction, they show like rigid restriction, which is obviously a, a different thing. And that that can can get to that extent. But the point about what I'm making about dovetailing into being more evidence based is that it's about knowing that evidence, and therefore also that everyone's different, and the practitioner using their experience and the client's own. Values and clients' own expectations, preferences, those types of things, and actually finding where on that spectrum they might be. So, for someone like you, actually having like minimal to no "quote unquote" junk foods or ultra processed foods in a diet might be relatively easy, and you know that you can stick to them quite quite well without kind of causing a problem. But for someone else, not having the ability to have some chocolate or you know some food that they know is going to basically have enough uh palatability or kind of satiate other aspects of why we eat in their diet to, to basically stop them going on the binge episodes so i guess it is the kind of the point I'm making is that it's about knowing where you are on that spectrum in terms of how much like lowering vari- um, variability to a point where it's helpful and not pushing it past that point where it then becomes um potentially too restrictive and therefore like unproductive for dieting because it just then encourages you to just binge all the time and you just can't stick to a diet long enough because of those binge episodes which obviously does happen with people so does that make
1: sense? 100%, 100%. and I think food, obviously food environment does play a role because if you have kids like we, we, like we do you do have foods in the house that I wouldn't have if they were in your like cereal is easy you know they do eat they do have cereal they do have eggs you know, and all they do have totes, They have a variety of stuff but you know most of it's cereal because even know we're like oh i wish i'd be I wish i was the perfect min parent who just feeds them bloody you know on toast. eggs mm. and tomatoes and whatever in the morning no they do eat stuff like that but you know you're in a rush sometimes you're late getting up you know shit out and stuff. so that's, cereal, all the, that's all
0: they'll eat sometimes as well
1: yeah, and that's yeah, that's all they eat, like if of anything at all. Like Eliza, like I will not force her. She 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 has um Ovaltine. Don't ask me why she's gone onto that. But she drink her and she wouldn't want anything else. So I just I won't force her. So like if you don't want to eat, don't eat like. So 'cause I'm very conscious of like, oh you're forcing to eat, so you've got to eat when you're older and it carries on in the later life, I gotta eat it, but I don't want to. Anyway. But So I probably wouldn't have see in the house because it's easy to eat it's tasty and you could just pile it in and you would just don't get full so I, if that was probably the only thing I wouldn't have so if people if people haven't got kids and they do like chocolate just don't buy it because if it's not there and you're in the house you can't get it you can't and I, I know it's easy these days to, you know, to order stuff in but it's, you have to deliberately go through other you have to make other choices to get the chocolate don't just go in the cupboard and get it If your food environment is set up well and you haven't got kids and you're in ultimate control of what you eat, just don't buy it.
0: Because
1: the temptation isn't go. oh, I'm going to cabin out to get some whatever, tuna. Oh, look, there's a bar of chocolate over there. If if it's not there, out of sight, out of mind. I know you might crave it eventually, but that craving will go and you haven't got any else to, to eat it. So food environment is definitely, definitely... A big thing mm.
0: I, um, and I, I think i think even then though it's about knowing yourself and knowing kind of where you are on that spectrum in terms of whether the, the a, a very good strategy might be to just not have it and a lot of people will probably do very well with that because like you say outside our mind if it's not there and they're not thinking about it they probably won't crave it as much whereas other people if they know it's there they'll then us all they'll be thinking about but there will be some people that crave it so much that an actual better option might be to have maybe small multi packs, um, it, or, or like you know, kind of like treat size stuff in the house rather than so that they know that they can only have like a treat size rather than smash whole bar type thing. Um, but again, I think that just comes down to knowing the individual themselves, or, or if you're being coached, the coach knowing you as an individual in terms of helping you strategize.
1: That's why it's important not to lie to the course either because lying is pointless. Well, it doesn't it's help, you know, you it doesn't help anyone, it? yeah. You know, if you're struggling with something just say look I'm struggling with this and you go right you may have seen that before I struggled with this I've seen that before actually there's a strategy in place for that the more honest you are with the coach the, the better and easier your results will come 100% like Christmas time now well I mean what's, it, what's, what's the date the 21st is it? 22nd 21st you know just one month's time is Christmas. And obviously the week or two are bookers that people buy. Like the stuff in the house now, ready for Christmas. So for my strategy, for me, is don't eat any of it, ever. Because because ever. It's, it's like little sweet. Just like two or three is not enough. So if, if I just don't eat it, then I don't pick it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It takes me a big effort to go and eat one. But after the one, it just takes very little effort to go and get more. So... If I can just stop myself from taking the one, I'll definitely be better off. on yeah. I mean, is- Christmas Day, I'm not saying you know I will eat, but even then, people say yeah eat, yeah eat. I, I, I will eat, but like be- when before I eat till I'm like I'm a